just a minute, and we're just going to invite the Lord to meet with us. We want to take a moment and pray and calm our hearts and say, Lord Jesus, we need you today, and our hearts need some gospel repair today, so would you speak to us? So would you stop for a minute and just pray with me? Our Lord, we thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you that this morning we can hopefully give some honor to where honors do, and that's to some of our leaders and people that have been here 20 years in our ministry. But ultimately, Jesus, we want to give you your honor and your due and tell you that you are the lamb that is worthy, that you were slain for us, and we praise your name, and we ask for your help. We ask as we open your word that your spirit would speak and move. We ask that you would just scream into our lives today that you would challenge us and help us and mature us in some significant ways this morning. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we started last week this series, part one of three, and I know it was Fourth of July weekend. Uh, many of you probably were traveling, so let me cut you up quickly. We're calling the series GOAT, not because we're talking about farm animals, but because we're talking about the greatest of all time. And we saw in Matthew chapter number 20 that Jesus had this discussion with his disciples because they wanted to be the greatest, especially James and John. They wanted the seats on Jesus' right hand and left hand. They wanted the honor and the position and the power and the prestige, and they wanted to be the greatest. And Jesus says, guys, let me help you out. You want to be the greatest? Fine. I'll tell you how to be the GOAT minister. Whoever's going to be great among you, let him be your minister. He says, if you want to be great, serve. And he says, you know what? Let, let me tell you what I'm talking about. The Son of Man, he came not to be ministered unto. I didn't come to have people minister to me. The Son of Man came to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He said, I'm going to prove this to you. My, my whole existence right now here on this earth is, is to show you what ministering's about. I will minister, follow my lead. But then when you get to Matthew chapter number 23, something fascinating happens. Jesus doubles down on this idea. And in Matthew 23, he says something strikingly similar, and I want us to read it together. Here's what he says in verse number 1. Jesus spake to the multitude and to his disciples. So he's going to talk about scribes and Pharisees, but he's not talking to the scribes and Pharisees. He's talking to his disciples and the multitude, and he says, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. What's that about? What's Moses' seat? Is that a seat that Moses had that he passed down from generation to generation like a family heirloom? What is Moses' seat? Well, there was a seat in every synagogue that was defined as Moses' seat. It was the place where the teacher or the expositor or the expounder of the word or scriptures would sit. We would say it today in our vernacular that they stood behind the pulpit. That this pulpit is it's just a piece of wood, but it's representative of the pastoral scriptural ministry of expositing the word of God. And those that sat in Moses' seat would have been the teachers, would have been the people that communicated the word. And he says, they sit in Moses' seat, verse number three, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. That's an interesting note. Oftentimes, Jesus is against the scribes and Pharisees, but he says in this instance, when they're in Moses' seat and they're communicating the word of God to you, observe it, pay attention to it, do it, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. So he says, guys, when they communicate the Torah to you, when they open up the law and they begin to say, hey, don't murder, don't covet, hey, why don't you honor your parents? When they communicate these things to you, they're not giving you bad advice. They're saying a lot of good things, actually. Pay attention to it. 
especially when it coheres with the Word of God. Pay attention to that. Do that. But don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. They preach it fine, but they don't practice what they preach. Verse number 4, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So what they do is they say, hey, carry all the weight, not me. Hey, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot, there's a lot of weights uh, to be borne. You do all the work. I'm not going to do the work. I'm not going to lift a finger. That's where that phrase comes from, lifting a finger. They won't lift a finger. They won't do anything to help. You do all the work. They do none of the work. And here's what he says, verse number five. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They do some stuff, but it's self-promoting. They're glory hunters. They want the glory for themselves. Their motivations are impure. And he's going to go on to say, here are some examples of how they do this. He's going to talk about their dress. He's going to talk about their positions that they want. And then even these titles that they give to themselves. And first, he talks about dress. He says they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. What's that talking about? Phylacteries is actually a Greek word. They just transliterate it. They didn't even try to, to come to an English word for it. A phylactery was something that they would use, and they still do to a degree, some uh, Orthodox Jewish people do, but they would take these little boxes, and inside of the boxes would be micro-scriptures is what I call them, little tiny copies of portions of the Word of God. They would stuff the copies of the Word of God in those boxes, and then they would take leather straps, and they would wear them around their wrists like a bracelet with a little box on it, or around their foreheads, actually, almost like a a miner's light or something, if you can think of a head strap with something right there in between your eyes, there would be that little box. And they did this as an overly literal application of Deuteronomy 6, verse number 8, where God gave the law, and he gave even the law a second time in Deuteronomy, the second law, and he, and he said to the children of Israel, thou shalt bind them upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And so it's not inappropriate to actually wear them as a bracelet or between your eyes. I don't know that God intended for that to literally be done, but they literally did it. They would literally wear these boxes with Scripture between their eyes and on their wrists. And Jesus says they're trying to make those those bad boys bigger and bigger. There's still the micro-Scriptures in there, but they're trying to make them bigger and make sure that people notice. And I don't know if they were decorating them and bedazzling them or what what all they they were doing, but they were trying to make them showy. They were trying to show off with what they had. And, and, you know, I love the Scriptures. I have the Scriptures. I wear it. And then he says that they also enlarge the borders of their garments, talking about these, these prayer garments that they would wear these prayer shawls, and the shawls would have uh, beads, sometimes even tassels, and if you've ever, uh, if you're from a a Catholic background and you've used rosary beads, you would understand this, that they would oftentimes uh, have on on the the tassels there, they would hold them, and they would use each tassel as a symbolic, they kind of move through them and touch them as this prayer, and then that prayer, and then that prayer, if you've ever done rosary beads like that, you, you understand, and he says they're trying to make this bigger and grander, and they're showing off. They just want to be seen of men. Look at me. Oh, I love the scriptures. Look at me. I really pray. You know, I'm a great person. Verse number six, they love the uppermost rooms at the feast and the chief seats in the synagogues. So he moves from dress to position. They want to be exalted. They want the, to be the guest of honor. They want the place of prominence. They want the special seats. They want Moses' seat. Bad. This is what the disciples actually were after last week, if you remember in Matthew 20. I want to sit on your right hand and your left hand, Jesus. I want to be there. I want those seats. They want the position. They want the power. Then he moves on. 
in verse number 7 to how, these titles that they would have. And greetings in the markets and to be called of men, rabbi, rabbi. So they like to be greeted in such a way that it underlines and underscores their status, their position, their prestige. They want you to call them by names that make them venerable and respected so that you will look at them and think that they're awesome. And not just think that they're awesome, but that you will actually say that they are awesome and that you'll call them rabbi. And he begins to push it home and he says to his audience, here's what I want you to do. Be ye not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. This refers to, uh, in Judaism, the rabbi is one who expounds the law. It literally means my great one. So he says, I, I don't want that for you, verse 9, and call no man your father upon earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. A father was a term that they would use to uh, put on the patriarchs to make sure you knew that they were a great patriarch. If you've ever heard Abraham called Father Abraham, then you understand it. To say that, that was a, they, they were really a leader. They were really special in history. Verse 10, neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. What's all this about? Well, they had developed these titles for themselves as a way to confer privilege and honor. And he's trying to take this pecking order that was established by these titles, and he's trying to abolish it. I don't want this whole pecking order thing. Let me remind you that, that when you're comparing yourself to me, there's this big gap. That really, your heavenly father to you, you can try to create this pecking order in this, I'm better than you and I have more position than you amongst yourselves as humans, but it's foolish. You, you, and there's such a gap between you and God. Really just say, none of us are great and God is great. That's what he's trying to say, that it's not about our position and our honor and our power, but it's about the honor of God and the power of God and the majesty of God. Is he saying literally that if you have a biological father, you can only call him dad and you can never call him father? That when we celebrate Father's Day, we have to call it Dad's Day because look, after all, he said, call no man therefore your father upon the earth. I don't think that Jesus is striking the term from the record. He's after the heart of what they were doing. That he is, that they're trying to establish this pecking order. And really, the, the, some of the terms are the same, and some of them have changed. Obviously, in Judaism, you'd still have rabbi, and that would still be used kind of in a hierarchical way. In Catholicism, you'd obviously still have father that's used in a hierarchical way uh, to say father so-and-so. In a Baptist circle, you wouldn't have that, but you, you could insert the same thing. Uh, call him not reverend. You know, if, if you call me reverend, I won't bark at you. I won't be mad at you. I won't slap you down for it. But I don't like to be called reverend. There's, reverend means you revere them. We should revere God. I don't want you to revere me. There's a proper place in the scriptures for giving honor to pastors and respect to authority figures. I'm for that. The Bible's for that. But, but not in such a way where you're revering or, or you're saying that you're the great one or that you're awesome. No, I'm, just, I'm just trying to live for Jesus like the rest of you. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm part of the church, part of the church too. I have my struggles too, right? Don't do this whole they're elevated, they're up there. You even see this sometimes with um, someone who's maybe earned their doctorate in theology or something, and they will refuse to be introduced as pastor so-and-so or brother so-and-so or even by their first name. I have to be called doctor. You know, th those sorts of things. What you, that's what Jesus is getting after. Stop this nonsense. Stop this. Stop this. Then he says this, verse number 11. You're after greatness? 
They're after greatness. They want the seat. They want the power. They, they want to showboat. They, they want all this greatness. Everyone to think they're awesome. Verse number 11, here it is. But he that is the greatest among you shall be your servant. See that? Same thing he said in Matthew chapter number 20 to his disciples. You want to be the goat? You want to be the greatest? Forget the pretense. Forget the showboating. Forget the titles. If you want to be a person of greatness, serve. Serve. Verse 12, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. This is the way it works in God's economy. The world doesn't work this way, but God's economy works this way. If, if you are self-promoting, eventually you will be humiliated and you will be lowered. If you are humble and you lower yourself and you serve others, eventually you will be exalted and you will be made great. That's what he says. Say, Pastor, you already covered it. You told me the same thing last week. You told me all about this person of greatness and how I can be a person of greatness, how I can serve. I know. Next week, I'm going to tell you how you can practically work this out. I didn't do a lot of practicality last week. I won't do a ton this week. Next week will be almost exclusively practical. Next week on July 18th, Sunday, we will do a Serve Sunday. We'll have a ministry fair. We're going to have oodles of opportunities for you to actually begin putting this into practice in your life and to begin serving, maybe on a monthly basis, maybe on a biweekly basis, maybe on a, on a weekly basis, maybe even more frequently than that. Some of you were at VBS and you were here every single day for four hours a day this week. So we'll give you those opportunities and we'll talk all about how and why. We'll put them right there on the bottom shelf and we will make it extremely user-friendly, extremely user-friendly. We're super excited about it, but that's next week. This week, I want to cover this question. What is so great about this? Jesus says flat out, you want to be a person of greatness? You want to be great? Serve. You want to be the great one? Be a minister. Serve. Over and over again, he beats that drum. You want to be great? Serve. What is so great about ministering? What is so great about serving other people? And I was amazed in a good way. When I asked the scriptures that question over the last seven to ten days as I studied and just tried to figure out, why is this so great? Why is it so good and beneficial and great for us to serve? And that's what I want to give you this morning. What's so great about serving? First of all, you'd find this in the scriptures, that serving heals relationships. Now, you're going to know I didn't make this up because I'm not smart enough to make this stuff up. I would have never thought this up on my own. But this is what the scriptures say. It says in Galatians chapter number 5, and a little bit of background to, to the book of Galatians, the crux of Galatians is that Paul is writing to these churches and he's telling them that salvation is not through the law, that we've been freed from the law, that we don't have the rule book anymore, that we have liberty, that the law has been abolished. And he's writing to this group of people that get this and they say like, yeah, we're free from the law, no more law for us. But they're taking that and now they're saying, so I don't got to worry about what God thinks. You know what? Heaven is secure. My salvation is secure. And they understand the gospel. It's not because of me. It's not because of what I do. It's because of what Jesus has done for me. So I have a field day and sin all I want. I'll go to town. You know what? I'm still going to go to heaven. What's it matter? I mean, I, I may go smelling like smoke, but I'm going to miss hell. I'm, I'm going to miss it. I'm fine. And there's another group of Christians that are like, I don't think it works that way. <laughs> I don't think that you just get to do what you want now because we're free from the law and because you have your liberty. I don't think it means that you don't have to be nice to people just because you're free. And so 
here's what Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 13. He makes a statement about service. He says, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, which we would say, fantastic. Like, get your pom-poms out. Yay, we have been called to liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Do not leverage your liberty to indulge your sinful nature. Don't take your liberty and use it as a hall pass to say, I ain't got to obey the rules, so I ain't gonna. Don't do that. Don't take your liberty and run with it in that way. Don't say, I don't have to be nice to you, so I'm not going to be. Don't exercise your freedom like that. Here's what you should do, but by love, serve one another. You're not going to serve anymore because there's all these commandments hanging over you or, or somehow you're going to get to heaven if you serve enough people and you do enough good and you help a, enough ladies across the street. That then you're gonna, It's not like that, and we know it's not like that. So you're not serving out of a motivation to secure heaven for yourself, but serve out of love. You don't got to. You ha- you're free. You have your liberty. You don't got to. But now that you don't got to, you have the opportunity of a lifetime. You get to. Freely. You get the opportunity to step up and say, it's, it, it's not because I have the rule book hanging over me. It's just because out of love, I want to. You have the opportunity to serve other people. So freely choose to go back to all those people and serve them. Serve who? Just the people that help you and that you like and that you're nice and that you get along with them and you gel with them. Serve all those people. No, not just those people. Love your neighbor as yourself and go back and serve the people that hurt you. Go back and serve the people that maligned you, the people that you don't really want to get along with, the people that you would consider to be your enemy, the people that you're at odds with. Move in their direction and serve them. You say, time out, Pastor. I don't see that. Where where does it say move in their direction, these people that hurt you? You've got to keep reading. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. I don't think that's literal. I don't think he's saying, I don't want you to bite each other literally and consume and devour each other literally. Paul's not trying to prevent cannibalism, okay? That wasn't a problem in Galatia. Cannibalism was not an issue. What is is he saying here? It's a figure of speech to describe a dogfight. Two people going head to head. Two people chewing each other up. Two people just going toe to toe. And fighting and devouring, no one's giving in, no one backs down. So someone eventually wins, but nobody actually wins because everybody gets hurt. Everybody ends up wounded. Everybody ends up relationally worse. What he says is this, you don't have to serve. You have your liberty. You can go on and run your relationships in a way where you fight with each other. You can go on convincing and coercing, and I'm in a bad mood, so I'm going to complain, and I'm going to threaten you, and I'm, I'm going to have it my way. I'm going to control. I'm going to leverage my power. I'm going to power up. I'm going to be domineering. Go ahead. You can run your relations that, relationships that way, but you will destroy each other. And what he says when it's all said and done is that if you continue to serve only yourself, eventually you will be all by yourself. Don't serve them. Just serve yourself. Forget them. Make it all about you. You will bite. You will devour. You will be consumed. Serve only yourself. Be all by yourself. That's how it works. Some of you sit here right now and relationally, you're kind of all by yourself. There may be a lot of reasons for that, but it could be the reason is that you just don't ever serve and you don't want to. And he says, I want to give you an opportunity of a lifetime. Why don't you haul off and serve them? 
I, I, know, I know you're locking horns with them. I know you've, your horns have been locked, some of you, for a month, a year, a decade. I hope they don't show up to Thanksgiving. I hope I don't see them on Monday. Let's just avoid them. Let's, how do you heal that relationship? How could you possibly do it? Here's, here's, what the, here's what the scriptures teach. You want to help your relationships serve each other freely out of love. Serving does that for you. You say, I don't know that I want to serve them. I know. Do it anyway. Try it. I don't know that it'll work. Try it. Serving actually has this component, this benefit, that it will begin to heal relationships. And this works husband to wife. This works parents to children or children to parents. This works at work with people that are saved or not saved. This works inside the church. This principle just works. Serve only yourself, be all by yourself. Serve other people and see your relationships get better. That's how it goes. You also find this if you serve other people. What's great about it is it's not just that your relationships get better, but you actually begin to build the body. You begin to see the church grow and mature and flourish. This is what Ephesians 4 says. It says that God in his wisdom and providence and in his spirit gave to the church some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So it's saying God in his grace has given different gifts, different ministries, different offices even. There's these evangelists, there's these pastor teacher people. Why would he do this? Here's why. For the perfecting of the saints. Right? He did this so that people would be matured. The people of God, the saints, that they would be matured, all right? Why would the people of God need to be matured? Well, for the work of the ministry, to serve and to minister. Why would the people of God need to be matured so that they could serve in the ministry? Well, for the edifying of the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ. What do you mean, build up the body of Christ? That sounds vague. Well, that sounds like churchese. What, what does build up the body of Christ mean? Well, verse 13, will all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What that is saying is go ahead and serve and see if the body isn't built up and the church being built up looks like unity in the faith for the church, that you're unified around something. See if you don't know Jesus more full knowledge of the Son of God, you will know Jesus more if you serve because Jesus served so you'll understand a little bit more about him. It says this, see if you aren't more mature and character develops that you'll be made into a perfect man. Then it says that you'll just be more like Jesus. You will be unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's profound. You go ahead and serve in the ministry and there will be better unity in the church because of it. You'll know more about Jesus. You will mature. Character will develop. You will, you will not just know more about Jesus, you will be more like Jesus if you serve. I want to try to illustrate this to you in, in graph form, okay? This is a graph, and on the vertical line, you would have spiritual maturity. I'm not even going to define spiritual maturity. We'll just say whatever that means to you. Someone is more mature. They're growing in Jesus. They understand the scriptures more. They're living out their faith more. Spiritual maturity. On the bottom, horizontally, you'd have years in Christ. How many years someone has been saved? And in the middle there, you have a PM line. I'm going to call it the personal ministry line. When you are early on in your faith, you can grow massively and have a great trajectory and just grow, 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 grow without much ministry. Even if you're new to faith, it's a good idea to do ministry. But you can grow massively without much ministry because normally when you're, when you're new to faith, people pour into you. People 
teach you, <clears throat> you begin to learn, people mentor you, people serve you. They, they, there's a lot of investment in you in those early years, and you grow because of that. That's a good thing. You do want that. You want people to minister and to help build up your life and to edify and encourage. You want that. But there comes a point in time relatively early on in, in your faith walk. And for all of us, it's different. It could be six months. It could be a year. It could be two years. It's different for everybody. But there comes a point where if you do not begin to serve and do personal ministry, you will not continue to grow at the same rate. You may just stop growing altogether. I have seen this over and over again where someone hits the personal ministry line, and I know it's an invisible line, but they hit that line and they don't take on personal ministry. They don't begin to shoulder kingdom responsibility. They don't begin to serve others by serving God. And what happens is they begin to plateau and eventually they just begin to decline. And they wonder, what happened? Like I still come to church and I still listen and I'm still involved in that group and, and those, those people still pour into my kids. And I mean, I took my kids to VBS last year and I took them to VBS this year. What's, what's happening? And the answer is you, you need verse 12 to get verse 13. Verse 13 says you'll mature, you'll have character, you'll be more like Jesus, you'll know more, like, you'll know more of Jesus, that you will have greater spiritual maturity. But verse 12 says the way to do it is by ministering, is by serving. And there's a great danger to take in, take in, take in for all of us that we take in and never put out. And if you do that, you end up being this dead sea that has all these inlets, but has all these, all, none of these outlets, and you become salty and sour, and all of a sudden you just, your spiritual walk is not what it should be. Why? Because you're not serving. So when you serve, the point is this. It's great to serve, not just because your relationships are healthier, but you actually begin to edify the body, and you personally begin to spiritually mature because you're serving other people. But more than that, and I've, I almost feel like, you know, Billy Mays, wait, there's more this morning, but the, the scriptures teach this. They teach that if you serve, you actually improve your emotional state. John 13 is the story of the night before Jesus is crucified, the Last Supper. We're going to take communion here at the end of the service and remember this event. And it's recorded for us that on that night, the disciples had an argument. And wouldn't you know it, their argument was, who's the greatest? They're, this is why you know the Gospels are not legends, because you would, you would skip those parts. If you were trying to write a legend, you would just leave that out because you look really dense. When Jesus is like, hey, you want to be the greatest? Serve. You want to be the greatest? Serve. And then, you know, you fast forward the tape, and you're like, I want to be the greatest. How? And you just look really, really dense in those moments. But they have this argument, and Jesus gets up from supper, and he takes a towel, and he takes a basin of water, and he starts washing their feet. And Peter says to them, like, don't touch my, no, you're not serving me. And Jesus says, oh, yes, I am. And Peter gives in. And Jesus washes their feet, and then he gets done, and he looks at them, and he says, boys, you know why I did this? And they, being the dense people that they are, and we are too, it's not just them, we are too, many times. They're like, uh, hint, please? <laughs> like, why? And he says, I did this to show you how to serve and he tells them, guys, this was an example for you. The servant is not greater than the master. Am I master? Am I Lord? Am I Messiah? Am I the Christ? Yeah, I am. But I serve. Are you greater than me? No, you're not. So you serve. 
This is the night before Jesus dies. He has the same conversation. You want to be great, go ahead and serve. But then he ends that conversation with this verse, which is astounding. John 13, verse number 7. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Not do them when you're happy, okay? Not go serve people when you feel like it and you're just emotionally well. If you will do this, happy you will be. You will have an emotional benefit and be a happier person if you go serve others. If you are open-handed and extremely generous and you give away money, you know what I'm talking about. If you have been on a mission trip and you didn't like drink the water and get sick the whole time, you know what I'm talking about. If you serve people regularly, you know what I'm talking about. That you pour yourself out and you give and you serve and you see their life get better and you build the body. But somehow in God's economy, you get a benefit and you end up blessed and happier because of it. I got this email in my inbox yesterday, and Natalie is in the service today. I'm not going to point her out, but I asked her if I could share a portion of it with you. And I just thought, this is exactly what I want to say tomorrow. Thank you for this email, Natalie. And here's what it says. It says, I just want to take a moment and thank you and Harvest for the opportunity I've had to serve at VBS. Now, that was the opening line, and it struck me. Number one, because, like, it really wasn't me. I had very little to do with VBS, and that was, that was the team, and Travis, and Lee, and so many of you. So many of you had so much more to do with VBS than I did. So that struck me, first of all, that I was getting to thank you, but it also struck me that someone was thanking the church for letting me serve, right? Thank you for letting me give you 20 hours for free. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you're welcome. But here's, here's, what, here's what Natalie said. Wow, what a week it's been. I'm just blown away by the exciting and fun experience everyone gets to enjoy celebrating Jesus. I'm already looking forward to next year. And then listen to this part. I just thought it... Natalie was saying John 13, 17. I don't even know if she realized it. This certainly put a song in my heart and a smile on my face each and every day. What is that? I served people, and it put a song in my heart and a smile on my face. That's what Jesus said. He said, here's how it works. You, some of you right now, you're so emotionally thin and emotionally backwards right now. You're just, you're not in a great spot. And I'm not, I'm not trying to condemn you or guilt trip you. I'm trying to help you. One of the ways you could help yourself, and I don't want to be overly reductionistic. It's not just serve each other. There can be physical components to that. There can be a lot of things going on there. But I can promise you, you will not hurt yourself if you're, if you're emotionally thin to go serve other people. You will help yourself. It will improve your emotional state if you serve other people. Then you find this. Serving gains you eternal rewards. So there's a lot of benefit here and now, but in eternity there's benefit. First Timothy 6 says this. It says, this is Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy's a pastor. Paul says, Timothy, I want you to tell your church, and I want you to challenge your church to do this. Okay, so I'm going to just take these words and challenge you as a church to do the same. Here's what you should challenge them to do. That they, be, that they do good. I be do-gooders. Be out there, Matt, I love the story today, wherever you're at, of changing somebody's tire, you know. Be a do-gooder. Go help people. That they be rich in good works. Don't be poor in good works. Don't have a little bit of them. Have a lot of them. Be rich in good works. Be helping people. And that they are ready to distribute and willing to communicate. Willing to communicate means willing to share. This means you live life open-handed. You take the resources that God has given you and you hold them with open hands and you say, I want to help people, I want to bless people. Sometimes that's financially, sometimes it's just me giving them my time, but I'm rich in good works, I'm open-handed in my life. Do this, why? Verse 19, 
laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. Not the time that is, the time to come. Paul's saying there's an afterlife. There's a life after this one, the time to come. And if you want to lay up a good foundation, you actually want to put some treasure in heaven, you, you want that to go well, getting to heaven isn't about doing good works. It's, it's not that, that all of a sudden, hey, I get heaven because I do good works. What he's saying is that you actually can lay up some treasure, though, and, and when you get to heaven, the honest truth is that Jesus is going to grade your life on a serve curve. He's going to look at your life and grade it on a serve curve and say, how open-handed were you? How, did you bless other people? Not because you had to, because you wanted to. You wanted to serve them out of love. Did you do that? This, there's an eternal component to serving other people. And then lastly, serving as an antidote to pride. We looked at this in Matthew chapter 23. We started the day with this. In the end of Matthew 23, Jesus got to whosoever wants to be the greatest among you. Let him be your servant. And then he said this, whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. It is tough to serve other people while putting your fir yourself first. You can serve other people with selfish, mot selfish motivations. That's true. But fundamentally, it is really difficult to serve other people and put yourself first. You don't wash people's feet without some humility. You don't grab a towel and haul off and serve without some humility. You don't take the people that you just don't have great relationships with and choose to serve them without humility. And what Jesus says, if you'll, if you'll serve, there's always a, a component of humility. And because there's a component of humility, this is actually going to inoculate you to some degree from pride. Which is a huge benefit for your life. I cannot over-communicate or stress to you enough how deeply damaging pride can and will be and how scary it is because you never see it coming. Pride is one of those sins that is it's sneaky. No one's ever like, man, I'm so prideful. There's lots of other sins that you see it. When it happens, you see it, right? No one was ever committing adultery and was like, oh, but I didn't realize you weren't my wife. Like, that, that just doesn't happen, right? Like, you know what you're doing, but you can be prideful and not even realize it. It's the carbon monoxide of sins. It kills you without you even knowing it, like it's odorless. How do, how do you protect yourself against that? That sounds scary. How do you get away from that? Well, one of the great ways, not the only way, but one of the great ways to get away from that is serve people. Serve people because it puts you in a position of humility, and that position of humility will keep you away from pride. I don't know, those of you that served at VBS this week, if you realized that you were mitigating yourself and fending off pride, but you were. You were. I was thinking this week about so many of, of you that serve on a consistent basis and are, you know, you're heroes in my eyes. Those of you that gave so many hours this week, the choir even, you know, the choir, I know that didn't happen by accident. Orchestra, you guys showed up extra, you practiced extra, and you were a blessing to us today. You, you built the body today. You encouraged us and helped us and edified us and helped us worship Jesus today. Thank you. Thank you for putting in some time and doing that extra. Thank you for coming early. I know some of you, you know, came early. And you didn't have to be at both services, but you did as a way to serve us. 
I think of some of, of you that are here and some that are not here right now because you give huge chunks of your life to be on the mission field and serve other people. I just saw the Gauls over here. Spend half of your, of your year in Macedonia and serving those people and pouring out of yourself. Thank you for doing those three-month short-term mission trips and doing that. I think of Seth and Nicole who, who will, you know, four years, they'll do another four-year stint right now going to Vanuatu and serving other people and putting them first and trying to help translate the scriptures into their language and doing that out of a heart of love. That's huge. I think of the, the greenhouses being constructed out here. I've seen so many of you helping over the last few weeks do this. Uh, I saw Jonathan out there doing some excavation. I know that uh, Jimmy and, and Micah and, and Les and Tripp and some of you have been out there laying block. And I, I saw Ray out there. Uh, you're like, Ray who? I know some of you know Ray Heinley, some of you don't. That's beside the point. But a retired man in our church who's out there He's shoveling rocks and sweating a bucket, 90-degree heat this week, just serving and giving of himself. Those things, number one, they don't go unnoticed, not, not by me, but by the Lord Jesus Christ. And those things have a huge benefit to our lives. When it's all said and done, last week, this week, and next week, we're taking three weeks and we're talking about service. Why? Why, why are we going to have a serve Sunday next week? Because the church needs your help? technically we do like that is true but that's not why fundamentally it's for you as your pastor i am for you i love you and i want you to experience the benefits of serving if you're not already some of you are serving and you're like you know what i have loaded my plate i'm good i'm capped out hats off to you good some of you are doing some but it's like uh, i'm I need to up it. I need to do more. Some of you are doing nothing, and you need to start shouldering some kingdom responsibility on a week-to-week basis. But wherever you're at, I hope that you understand that I, as your pastor, want you to be a person of greatness. I want that for you, but it only comes by service. I hope that you understand that God, literally, I'm not inflating the scriptures. God wants you to be a person of greatness. He doesn't want you to be a spiritual dead sea that takes in and never puts out. My question would be, do you want to be a person of greatness? Do you want to see your life changed? Do you want to see other people's lives impacted and changed? And if yes, then let's serve. This week, haul off and serve somebody you weren't planning on. Find somebody at work, find somebody in your neighborhood, in your community at church, serve them. Next week, come locked and loaded for Serve Sunday. We're going to have a blast with it. It's going to be so much fun. But come anticipating, wanting, desiring to jump in to shoulder some kingdom responsibility and to serve the Lord by serving other people. Pray with me. Our Father, we stop right now and we thank you for loving us enough to tell us the truth in your word. Lord, I thank you for your heart that you want me to do better in my relationships, that you want me to avoid pride, that you want me to be a contributor to the body of Christ. Lord, that you want me to to spiritually mature, that you want me to, to be happy and do these things. Thank you for making this your desire for my life. God, I tell you personally, I desire it as well, and I want to follow your advice. I personally, Lord, I don't want to be like the scribes and Pharisees who say a lot of good stuff, but don't do it. Lord, I pray that we would not be the people who put the work on others' shoulders, but we won't lift a finger. I pray that we would flex our muscles, lift our fingers, and that we would serve. Lord, I pray that there would be so much growth over the end of the summer and the fall in our lives because of the service that we commit to you. Lord, we love you and we praise you so much for your word and how good it is.